0: behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.
1: From KQED.
2: What's up? It's Erica. This is our last episode before we go on break for a little bit. That means there won't be any new episodes in our feed in the month of July. We'll miss you, but no fear. We'll get right back to bringing you local news three times a week in August. All right, here's the show. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to the Bay, local news to keep you rooted.
1: Good morning,
0: everyone. Um, It is an honor and privilege to be here before you today um, at the last hearing of the California Reparations Task Force. As you all know, uh, this illustrious...
2: night. California now has a roadmap for reparations for Black Californians. After more than two years, the state task force responsible for studying reparations has finished its work. And it's a historic moment.
3: It's not just the well being of people of African ancestry that is on the line. It is the very heart and soul of this country.
2: The task force's proposal is now in the hands of state lawmakers who will decide how to turn these ideas into actual policy. Today, what the state task force came up with and whether California will see it through.
1: This is sort of the final crescendo. Annalise Finney is a reporter for KQED. The task force set out to study and develop a plan for reparations with a special focus on people who are the descendants of enslaved Americans. This is what they've been working for for the two years that they've been around. They are handing off sort of the baby that they created, which is this reparations proposal to the state legislature, who then takes it and does sort of whatever they want with it. How do you go
2: about figuring out what reparations is going to look like for black
1: Californians? The task force has nine people on it. Some were appointed by Governor Newsom, and others were appointed by the legislature. And it's a mix of people there's professors, there's lawyers, and then there's also a number of politicians, some at the state level and some at the local level. They're really wasn't a blueprint for this. They looked at some previous reparations efforts that had happened internationally, the reparations effort for Japanese Americans here in the US, but in a lot of ways, they were sort of making it up as they went along. Essentially what they ended up doing was talking to a lot of scholars. They had essentially two years of public meetings where scholars gave testimony talking about where the black community in California is at today in terms of equity and inequity when compared to other racial groups, but then also looked really deeply at the history that created the conditions we see today. Let's talk about what the task
2: force came up with exactly. One of the parts that has gotten a ton of attention is direct payments. How much money could
1: eligible folks get in the form of cash payments? The task force has a pretty strict criteria for who would be eligible to get these cash payments. But if you qualified for all of the eligibility points, somebody might be eligible for up to $1.2 million. The calculations are complicated, and they spent years working with economists to figure out exactly how much money people would be owed who'd experienced redlining, who'd been incarcerated during the war on drugs when we have statistics that show us that Black communities were over when you compare them to other racial groups and other communities. One thing that task force members have emphasized, though, is that these payments wouldn't necessarily come all at once. It might be something that's paid out over a period of years, depending on what the state budget can withstand.
2: And I know this was contentious, uh, this idea of who might
1: be eligible for cash payments. What do they ultimately decide This was one of the most contentious decisions the task force made, and they made it sort of at the beginning of their work because it really undergirds a lot of the final recommendations they came out with. Mm -hmm. And what they decided is that only people who can prove this lineage to somebody who was enslaved in the US or somebody who was a free person um, around the time of enslavement would be eligible for these payments. I think a lot of people felt that that leaves out a lot of people whose families got here later or who emigrated more recently who are still Black in America and in California and experience the same discrimination day to day that people do who are descendants. So there was a lot of fighting about that within the task force and then within the community at large. And those on the task force who supported it said that they support it in part because they want to come up with a plan for reparations that is actually going to mean something that's going to become a reality for people. And they'd been advised by legal advisors who testified during these public hearings that anything that is race-based is going to face legal challenges it's because of California state law and also constitutional law that mm-hmm. prohibits governments from creating race-based policies, whether they discriminate against people or if they privilege people, which in theory would be what the case in this circumstance.
2: It also sounds really hard to try and prove
1: your lineage. like How do you even go about doing that? One of the state task force's plans includes the creation of a state agency called the California American Freedmen Affairs Agency. And that agency has many different jobs, at least as they've described it in this recommendation report. But one of the things it would have is essentially a genealogy department whose job it would be to employ genealogical researchers, oral historians, and librarians to kind of provide free services to help people trace this lineage so that they can try and sort of break down some of that barrier some people might face in accessing reparations if it comes to pass.
2: I mean, I I feel like this is of the part of their recommendations that's getting a lot of attention but it really is only like a part of their full recommendations
1: to the legislature right yeah and that's something that actually a lot of task force members have really taken issue with we recently on did an interview with lisa holder who is an attorney and also a member of the task force maybe one chapter is dedicated to financial conversations And so there is this imbalance in the narrative that I that I feel obligated to push back on. And she really didn't want to talk about cash payments. Reparations is about repairing systems. It's about creating structures
0: and supports and opportunity. So the harm finally ceases and desists and never happens again in the future. And that's about systems change.
1: And the idea here is that policy proposals are supposed to stop harm from happening now and in the future so that we don't Mm. keep repeating this system of inequity that's brought us to where we are today. And those policy recommendations, they cover basically every sphere of life. There's things about housing, education, the legal system, environmental racism, a whole bunch of different ideas um, that together could really restructure the way our society works.
2: Are there some that have maybe
1: been held up as, like, some of the most important? You know, there are some policy proposals that are structural, that have been understood as being really important. Like, one of them is the creation of the California American Freedmen Affairs Agency. Mm. Another really big one is the repeal of Prop 209. Prop 209 was passed in the 90s. At the time, it was an anti-affirmative action bill. And it is the state law that says we cannot pass laws that privilege or discriminate based on race. Hmm. They want to repeal that because, as one task force member said, all of this inequality that we're talking about was created because of racism and because of race. If we can't name race and the policies that we're using to cut against that, then it's very difficult to sort of target the community that needs the most support. A lot of the state's policies that are included in these 12 chapters are going to be hard to make a reality without getting rid of Prop 209. Hmm. And those are sort of like the big policy proposals, but they're
2: also like kind of smaller approaches as well, right? Can you maybe tell me about some of those?
1: Yeah. So like I said, these policy suggestions sort of run the gamut. There's a section on environmental racism. And one of the things they want to recommend is policy that would increase trees in redlined communities. Hmm. So communities that typically have less trees because they've been, in many cases, ignored by the city for a long time. They also want to see lead removed from water, which is a very broad suggestion. But we know that lead turns up in water predominantly in communities that are low income, predominantly black neighborhoods that often have a history of redlining. Mm. Um, and then it goes into other things like education. A big recommendation they have is to fund free tuition for public colleges and universities. If you are descended of people who were enslaved, mm. which would be a, a big change, but there is precedent for it. I mean, the UC system agreed to provide free tuition to students who are Native Americans just, I think, last year or the year before that. I am curious what
2: happens from here, though, Annalise. I know this is really just kind of one point in this larger effort to give reparations to black Californians. But what happens from here?
1: So now this whole report is in the hands of the legislature and they can do with it what they want. I mean, the task force's job was just to study and come up with a plan. But enacting that plan to the people that we've elected into office. How have legislators reacted to some of these uh, recommendations so far? Essentially, a lot of lawmakers have been saying, you know, we want to wait until we see the final report. We don't want to take a stance until we have the final report. And now that they have the final report, you know, the rubber hits the road. And so we don't have a sense really at the moment how a lot of people feel about this. But... Now is the moment when people kind of have to make a decision one way or the other.
3: I'm going to be a realist here. I mean, there's going to be challenges on probably the most simplest recommendations.
1: I talked with Senator Stephen Bradford about this. He's a Democratic senator from Southern California. And he said, you know, it's going to be a big fight. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny that these suggestions face in the legislature. Many of the ideas that are encapsulated in the recommendations have been through the legislature before and not been passed. So... Mm. It's going to be an uphill battle, he says.
3: You know, I don't think it was ever a strong appetite for reparations here in California anywhere else in this nation. But the climate was right to move it forward. But uh, I, I'm a realist in believing that we still have major hurdles. We still are lacking true allies in this issue.
1: He is the vice president of the Legislative Black Caucus. And he says that, you know, that the Legislative Black Caucus is behind this. They're pushing for it. It's 12 members in a much larger body. So it really needs the support of other allies to make this stuff happen. You know, Senator Bradford and the other California legislator who's a part of the task force, um, who's Reginald Jones-Sawyer, both of them term out of the legislature um, within the next year or so. You know, they are kind of the bridge right now between the vision of the task force and the legislature. But once they leave, it's a little bit up in the air. He says the Black Caucus is ready to carry the work forward, but it's going to be a big fight.
3: I would hope all the members who are left behind would take up the mantle and leave. It's just again, it's not up to one or two individuals to fight for reparations. I would hope, again, our non-African American allies will pick up the mantle, too.
2: What did you see and hear from everyday people as these meetings progressed? And and what could happen, I guess, moving forward as this becomes like a broader
1: conversation now that it's heading to the legislature? You know, going to these task force meetings, it's been a pretty consistent crew of people in the audience. There are a lot of really committed activists and community members who want to see this be a reality and want to make sure that their voice is heard. A lot of the folks who've been coming to the meeting and giving in-person comment have shared personal testimony about how racist policies have impacted their lives. And many of the folks who speak in person have been very in favor of reparations. And the issue has been sort of like, what should reparations look like? Not reparations or no reparations. Towards the end of the two-year work period, there started being more calls that would come in over the phones during public comment that were critical of reparations on the whole. And a lot of the folks who made those calls repeated some of the kind of welfare queen racist lines that you may have heard before. I think on top of that, a lot of task force members have raised the fact that, you know, like I said, it's been a sort of consistent group of people who've been showing up and maybe that's not even an accurate cross section of the black community and that there have been efforts to make the task force's work more well known that ultimately haven't been as successful as the task force would have liked. I've heard kind of trepidatious hope from a lot of people. There's a little bit of fear in hoping just because so often hoping for justice for black people from the U.S. government and its many subsidiaries like the state of California um, has not resulted in things that felt meaningful, that changed the material reality of Black people, either in California or in this country as a whole. And also a lot of really wonderful, welcoming warmth. I mean, I think there's also the recognition that this is going to be a long fight, so you might as well make some friends along the way. (laughs) Um, And even though people sometimes have really opposing opinions in these task force meetings, generally speaking, people have gotten along, and that there is this sort of sense of respect for people in the room.
2: What is the significance of this work at the end of the day?
1: What's sort of amazing about this task force is this is the first time a state body in the U.S. has ever studied and put out a plan for reparations. Even studied the harm that white supremacy within policy or anti-Black racism has caused Black residents.
3: Reparations is not about individual guilt.
1: Mark Brown is a professor of political science at CSU Sacramento. He's been an observer of the task force meetings. I've seen him at a lot of the different sessions, taking notes for a class he teaches about reparations. And one thing that he has said to me is that he understands reparations as being a question of political responsibility.
3: One thing people often get stuck on is the idea that these harms were so long ago, slavery was so long ago, why should we do something about that today? And the answer is that history has an impact on the present.
1: It's about what we as democratic citizens, so presumably the people who hold power in this country, what we owe the people that our government has harmed.
3: It's a shared collective responsibility. And it's a way of talking about taking responsibility for the wrongs committed by the government that represents us.
2: Well, Annalise, it was good chatting with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Annalise Finney, a reporter for KQED. For more of KQED's coverage of California's Reparations Task Force, go to kqed.org reparations. This 40-minute conversation with Annalise was cut down and edited by our intern Jalen Herdman and senior editor Alan Montesilio. Producer Maria Esquinka scored this episode and added all the tape. Additional production assistance from me. This is actually Jalen's last episode with us here at the Bay and I just want to give them their flowers real quick because they've been a huge part of some of the episodes that we've made in the last few months. they have really never been afraid of diving into this wild production process of ours. Jalen, you have been so awesome. Thank you so much for all of your work and your contributions to this show. We're going to miss you. The rest of our podcast team here at KQED includes Jen Chien, Caesar Saldana, and Katie Springer. The Bay is a production of member supported KQED in San Francisco. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and from all of us here at The Bay, we will catch you back in August. Bye!